Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to Eastern Border. I'm a bit better right now, slightly improved, but coronavirus is still looming large over everything, because, well, if you listen to my previous episode, and if you've listened to the episodes before that about Russia's economical situation, and if you've read my posts about the current situation of medical industry in general in Russia, then you might know that, well, Russia's in a bit of a pickle right now with all this situation. I do believe that because of how Russia is showing off and how Russia is literally incapable of controlling the coronavirus, how they're um, actively doing the same pokazuha as we saw in the Soviet era, and we'll get to pokazuha in this episode too, don't worry, I'm gonna do one of the mixed ones where I'll just talk a bit of politics and then there's gonna be a bit of Soviet history for context. See, Russia has fallen into this corrupt bureaucratism currently where doctors are prohibited from um, reporting cases of the illness as coronavirus, even though Mr. Putin stated that the doctors who work through the quarantine would get pay increases. None of that is happening because the doctors are forced by the governors to improve the statistics of the regions to basically write down different numbers and different kind of diagnoses for people diagnosed with coronavirus. They also do not have the equipment to deal with the more severe cases. For example, there are uh, cities with over 100,000 people with just a single hospital with just two so-called artificial lungs that could help elderly people whom this virus has caused breathing issues to breathe and they get broken down. And also, well, when the doctors themselves ask their chiefs and, uh, and head doctors about the salary increase during the time of the coronavirus. Yeah, uh, we've gotten a lot of anonymous reports on YouTube and, well, sent to me personally about how none of this is being observed. Just a reminder, just a reminder, Russia currently uh, denies that it has a huge coronavirus problem, offers help to Italy, which is A, mostly useless, B, delivered in the most useless way possible, because uh, 
Russia delivered their military help via sea, landing in southern Italy, then driving via trucks all the way through from the south to the north, waving their flags and making the PR stunt, and then it turned out that about 85% of all the aid that they had provided was useless. Yeah, it was a PR stunt and a matter of political influence instead of actually helping anyone. Meanwhile, in their own country, the medics are underfunded. The whole situation in the country is worse. They don't even have a quarantine because that would disrupt the massive political events that are planned. Even though, by the way, the vote for the constitutional changes, which president has already signed as a law, but that still need to be voted for, yeah, they moved the voting for those away from the 22nd of April. But they didn't state a new date. And there's a huge chance that the vote will just never happen. That the president is just going to say, and this is how our new constitution is going to work right now. And everyone's just going to nicely, slowly forget about how Mr. Ashkova screwed over the Russian people and how all of this is going to function now. But... Russia is in kind of more peril than they even perceive. Because coronavirus is deadly to retired people and to older people. And those people, mind you, are uh, the actual electorate of Putin because they don't use the internet and they're very susceptible to propaganda and they also get most of their information from television. So Putin and Putin's regime, due to massive corruption, have basically destroyed all the public services. They basically have drawn down all the public services terribly to a base skeleton level throughout all of Russia. And now we have an epidemic that will probably kill Putin's main electorate away because, well, the young people are, well, not likely to vote for Putin. Which means that Putin is trying by all means to not to do any severe measurements to, to stop the pandemic because he can't afford to look weak. At the same time, he's kind of worried about what's going on there. And one of the weirdest things that just happened is that, yeah, Putin declared, uh, again, together with the fact that, um, that the vote will be postponed and we don't have a different date for the vote for the constitutional changes, which is illegitimate anyways, but whatever, the vote's postponed, that's fine. However... He also stated that all the Russian people will get a week off so that they should just stay at home. It's going to be a paid week off from work so that everyone will just stay at home. Instead of staying home, tour agencies in Russia picked up and a lot of people in Moscow just used charter races to travel to Sochi and party. An airplane was turned around uh, while it was on the way to Sochi just about 10 minutes after takeoff because, well, that's... Ridiculous. There was a massive traffic jam just outside Moscow, because again, the families and the people of Moscow, mostly all of Russia, are not taking this seriously at all. Specifically since, well, the Orthodox Church in Russia currently is stating the fact that if you are a true believer, you will not catch the coronavirus. That makes me apparently, I don't know, a heretic, because I just lived through one. Coronavirus, that is. And um, also, if you remember, there was this nice little movement called Grannies for Putin. I've mentioned them in the previous episodes. They are ultra-far right-wing and uh, socialist at the same time, because that's how Russian political spectrum works. Uh, Liberals are fascists, communists are for the freedom of everyone, and liberalism and fascism is the same thing. 
and Putin is our authoritarian leader that defends our liberty. Yes, it makes no sense. It, it makes no sense, but I'll, I'll just put it into perspective. But these uh, little ladies wore a nice little shirt stating that they are not afraid of the coronavirus. And, well, uh, previously they had burned United States dollars in protest against how the United States had destroyed Russia's economy and increased the age of retirement. Now they are burning images of coronavirus acquired from somewhere, mostly an artist's rendition of coronavirus, and yelling that we will not surrender to Trump and filthy Americans. Your coronavirus shall not destroy our national unity. Russia is the best. Go Putin. Thanks to Valentina Tereshkova, she brought us the great chance to make Putin eternal. Death to coronavirus. I, I kind of want a t-shirt. Very mimetic, but probably this joke's gonna gonna age very poorly, which just says death to coronavirus. And the Pokazuha part, the part which are we going to do a bit later on the show, is the fact that everyone in Russia is kind of doing just some half-hearted attempts on fighting the thing, because I live in Ludz, it's a very small town, so no one's really afraid of it, and it's like two meters away from each other, do not socialize, yeah, that's our everyday life, so no one's really that scared here, because, well, our streets are mostly empty, and everyone lives outside, it's very suburban, and... Like, it's a small town of 8,000 residents, and it covers a lot of area, and it's very rural, so everything's fine in the Luzza. But, but I know that in Riga and other bigger cities, like, there's actually quarantines going on and enforced ones, and that there's disinfection going on as well. You know, people just walking around town with their disinfectant spray cans and doing stuff, trying to protect people from, from getting infected. But, but in Russia, well, uh, they are attempting to do that. Kind of, because the latest reports are just a fine examples of this Pakazuha, where uh, if you are a person hired to do some disinfection work, as no one's gonna really bother to check on you, what they do instead is that just, and that's uh, taken on video, is that they'll just take a person, and they'll uh, dress up in all the protective gear, and go in front of a building and take picture of themselves, send it to their boss, and then go home and do nothing. At the same time, even though Russia is helping Italy, which is a total bullshit and a fraud, and if you're an Italian, sorry, if you're accepting Russia's help, then you're just falling for their PR stunt, and uh, they're not really actually helping anyone. Just a saying. Basically, Russia's medical facilities lack even the most basic preventative measures. They lack the specialists who are underfunded, who are under very tyrannical things, forced to falsify their medical reports, who lack even protection from themselves, who are just basically, they have to even share some of these means of protection. Russia's medical system is awful, and their mortality rates are terrible. Their their average lifespan for males is 60 Two, instead of like 70 something which i think is somewhere around like rest of europe or everywhere else it's like their healthcare is already terrible and when everyone else in the rest of the world is just fighting with it and reporting accurate numbers russia's official number currently is 1024 people infected which is total bullshit like, no one believes that. And they also state that only two people in Russia have died from this virus. 
which is also bullshit. But then again, it kind of just, you know, falls in line with everything else Putin has said. But thankfully, Putin is now confused by this, because Putin is a dictation, not a strategist. And he just managed to make a bit of a blunder in latest G20. First off, um, let's look at the last year's G20, and then I'm going to give you a nice concept of this year's G20. And after that, we're going to talk a bit about what the Bakazuha is and how it influences all of this stuff. And at the end, well, you're going to hear my prediction about how coronavirus epidemic is going to change the political landscape in Russia. Because, well, when I said that some blood would be needed, yeah, maybe coronavirus is starting to provide just that. And maybe we have to be cynical enough to just accept that it's all for our best interests. First, let's go back to 2019, just a year ago, where, and I'm going to be quoting from an article from the New York Times at this point, Mr. Putin had basically a, quote, splashy day on the global stage at the Group of 20, the G20, summit meeting, even by his own standards. Apparently, he stirred things up in Europe by proclaiming that the world's liberal political order had, quote, outlived its purpose, unquote. See, the thing is that, and before I'm getting on with this, is the fact that, well, the modern liberal idea seems to be very flawed to me because it has stepped away from what I would consider classical liberalism quite a lot, and it looks like something that a Louis-Philippe government in France in 1831 would consider liberal. That is, I believe that most of the governments are just pretending to care about your rights and basically perform some sort of imitations of any real actions instead of being actually liberal, because liberal things mean different things to different people, apparently, but I doubt that people in our governments are really into that stuff instead of stuffing their own pockets and keeping everyone comfortably numb. However... Uh, doesn't mean that I agree with Mr. Putin. Just had to say that I have a lot of criticisms with today's so-called liberal government. But those criticisms are not in the sense that Russian opposition states that liberalism is basically neo-fascism. No, it isn't. It's just that we have some nice corrupt politicians. But that's a tangent which I needed to get out of the way so that you would know my personal view on this. Because I, for example, consider myself a liberal, but a classical liberal of that. Centrist by today's standards, that is. See, in 2019, over the course of the summit, Mr. Putin conducted a dozen or so meetings, and uh, basically he broke a deal with China, where he, by the way, claimed to cut out the use of dollars in bilateral trade. Spoiler alert, it's 2020 right now, and that hasn't happened. In fact, Russia's ruble is in shambles, and their de-dollarization option has been failing super hard. But, again, last year, in the interview with Financial Times, Mr. Putin said that the liberal idea, by which he meant the post-war dominance of democracy, human rights, multiculturalism, and tolerance, had become obsolete. The problem there is that the liberal idea definition itself is weird in this case, because, again, nothing about market ideas, but I digress. Mm. Anyway, I'll quote. 
Liberals cannot simply dictate anything to anyone just like they have been attempting to do over the recent decades, Mr. Putin stated. He said that Chancellor Angela Merkel, Germany's leader, had erred in allowing a million refugees, mostly Syrians, to settle in her country, and that Mr. Trump was correct in trying to halt immigrants and drugs from Mexico. Quote, This liberal idea presupposes that nothing needs to be done. The migrants can kill, plunder, and rape with impunity because their rights as migrants have to be protected. But every crime must have its punishment. The liberal idea has become obsolete. It has come into conflict with the interests of the overwhelming majority of the population. In the interview, Mr. Putin also criticized what he cast as excessive tolerance for people of diverse sexual orientation and identity. Quote, We have no problem with LGBT persons, he said, but some things appear excessive to us. They claim now that children can play five or six gender roles. At that point, President of the European Council, Donald Tusk, responded, saying that, quote, I strongly disagree with President Putin that liberalism is obsolete. What I find really obsolete are authoritarianism, personality cults, and the rule of oligarchs. Yeah, this kind of highlights a weird situation, because even though I do believe that uh, the modern-day liberal order, the status quo, and the rule of technocrats is wrong, and I... Uh, I'm not a fan of a lot of European Union decisions. I don't like Brexit either, but there's a lot to criticize the modern so-called liberal agenda for, but I call them so-called because they've gone far off from what it was. However, Mr. Putin should not really be the person making any statements about what is morally right or wrong, because again... <laughs> When someone as crazy and violent and oppressive and authoritarian criticizes liberalism, that sort of makes everyone who wants to criticize liberalism as a political ideology, either from the left or from the right, by the way, not like the standard classical liberalism doesn't have its own criticisms. Yeah, you know, you, Mr. Putin, you just made everyone else who wants to criticize this thing a bit on moral grounds look bad because of sheer association. But, again, sorry for tangents, I'm barely out of out of illness. Still own painkillers because, uh, oof, this isn't fun. Carrying on. See, Putin often likes to point out in his speeches that he's not a prudish man. He uh, once joked, for example, that communist labor had the same flaw as group sex, as it's impossible to tell who's working and who's slacking off. Which is, well, uh, in this point, well, I haven't participated in group sex, but communist labor is pretty much exactly that. And, uh, yeah, earlier when he was faced with criticism with over human rights abuses in the war in Chechnya, in the early 2000s, Putin also had threatened at a news conference to castrate a reporter who asked a question about landmine victims. So, all this is kind of weird, but... Even in 2019, after all these statements, in a conference call with Russian-based reporters, Putin's spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, clarified that, quote, Mr. Putin was not criticizing the liberal political order per se, which in my mind is what really needs to be criticized because they have a lot of issues on their own and they are just liberals in name only, end quote, <clears throat> and tangent, but what he saw as efforts by Western leaders to impose it to the exclusion of other political systems. 
quote, Vladimir Putin, in my understanding, remains very close to the ideas of liberalism, Mr. Peskov said. Then they have to state, quote, Mr. Putin here, mm. I don't know what my press secretary says. Sometimes he just blathers out some shit and I don't know what's going on. Because this is the way how it sounds to everyone. Cutting on from Mr. Peskov, at the same time, if authoritarianism exists somewhere, this is a question of the people of these countries, Mr. Peskov said. We should not judge them and change the regime and government in these countries. And that's kind of the issue where you want to yell at liberals while still proclaiming to be one. But that was 2019. No coronavirus, a lot of stability, even though corruption and everything. But then, the 2020 G20 summit also happened. Hey guys, Annette here. I hope you are enjoying our new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to all of our Patreons. The show would not be possible without your help. If you are not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to the Eastern Border page on Patreon.com. Please remember to also follow us on our social media, like Twitter, where we are known as Eastern underscore Border, and on our Facebook page. We also have a Discord server, so if you're interested in that, find the link in the description of this podcast. That's it for now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So, in 2020, and this comes from News 18, which also comes from Reuters, <clears throat> quote, Russian President Vladimir Putin on Thursday called for sanctions relief during the coronavirus pandemic, telling G20 leaders it was a matter of, quote, of life and death, end quote. The leader did not specify which countries should be earmarked for sanctions relief, speaking instead more broadly, quote, Ideally, we should introduce a joint moratorium on restrictions on essential goods as well as on financial transactions for their purchase, Putin said at the virtual meeting of G20 leaders on Thursday. I am talking about the countries that are suffering the most from this pandemic. At the end of the day, it's a question of life and death. This is a purely humanitarian issue. These matters should be freed of any politics, Putin added. Now, obviously, Russia has been a target of numerous rounds of Western sanctions following the annexation of Crimea and all the Ukraine crisis. And it's also the ally of a number of other countries sanctioned by the West, namely Iran and North Korea. And the Putin stated that it was important to, quote, establish green corridors free of trade wars and sanctions that would ensure supplies of medication, food, equipment, and technology. There's a minor problem with this issue. A, a tiny little problem. There are no sanctions about essential goods towards Russia. It's all about financial stuff. It's all about, you know, their oil production now... 
and anything that can be used for military stuff. And it's not about essential goods and food. Putin himself imposed counter-sanctions where he specifically prohibited the entry of essential goods like medicine and foreign food inside Russia. You can't import, say, Italian cheese or Spanish hamon or anything like that in Russia. You can't import meds into Russia unless they're specifically super whitelisted in a long list. It's not like he, because all the sanctions have been purely financial, purely economical, and none of them have targeted uh, any of these so-called essential good things. The problem is that, yeah, it has gone so far in Russia that uh, groups who are volunteers who get, like, foreign aid and charity uh, from other countries to, say, well, help deal with cases of diabetes, they get diabetes medication imported in Russia, have been called foreign agents. And they have been prohibited from importing their own meds into the country. And, uh, yeah, that's been fought against. But not like anyone has done anything from the outside. All the news sites that I've seen, they fail to mention these counter-sanctions there, because that's obviously not in Kremlin's press release. But what happened here is that either Putin is senile or has forgotten, or, well, is just so brazenly lying and is just so so brash about it that he, in the G20 summit, asked for a moratorium on sanctions, which he imposed unilaterally on every other country, where he, as a response to the financial sanctions, prohibited the imports of EU and United States goods in Russia. Except, like, iPhones, which are brought from third countries, so they still get iPhones and foreign stuff, except it's, like, all transported via Belarus or some other, like, Turkestan or other other smaller countries. No one even understands how and, and why. And together with the coronavirus, I think, it's just messing with his head. And then he's the one who criticizes liberalism for its shortcomings, which there are many. But at least I don't know a liberal who is openly on the world stage yelling for uh, the pause and cancellation of some economical sanctions or other bad stuff that's happening to him, which he has literally caused by himself as a response to, you know, being punished for his misdeeds. But I bet they just panic, because uh, we'll get to all the all the other uh, good Bakazuka stuff later, but... Right now, I think it's more important this episode, specifically, I also have the boat one to do. I'll do the boat one first, then I'll do Pakazoka, but right now, I'm just talking about this because I want to explain to you how COVID-19 will throw off Putin's political strategy for 2020 and what his team is doing about it. Because all these things previously that I've been telling you about, they remind me of how Khrushchev was in power in his later days and how Brezhnev was getting really old and senile and... Putin's not getting any younger, and Putin's panicking, and Putin's like the But COVID-19 might just be the best thing that could happen to the Russian people. You see, the coronavirus pandemic has kind of like stopped most political processes in Russia. The Putin's administration's domestic politics team has suspended the campaign to do anything about the constitutional amendments, and they're now switching gears to focus entirely on fighting the coronavirus. Putin's chances at two more terms hang in the balance of the result. At least, officially, they hang in the balance, because that's going to happen. There is no, not even the slightest chance that those constitutional chances won't be approved of. 
the gubernatorial appointments are also up in the air. Kremlin had been planning to put up several regional governors who are up for election to the test by watching their performance in the constitutional referendum. Now that Putin has postponed the plebiscite, not a referendum, mind you, I'm sorry, it's, uh, oh boy, all-national Russian vote, just as legit as the vote for the 22nd Soviet Communist Party Congress or something. If you don't vote correctly, then you just might be stuffed into a car and disappear, and that's that. Anyway, now that Putin has postponed the farcical nonsense that some people might call a plebiscite, but no one in his own right would do, Kremlin may have some weeks or months to wait before fixing and, and tweaking its original political strategy, which is important because, once again, Russia is not a monolith, and if things go this way, it will clearly stop being a monolith. Oh, oh, wait. While I am at this, I do have to put on a tiny little tangent. Basically, uh, Mikhail Khodorkovsky has written a new brochure, about 100 pages long, about how he sees the future of Russia. And I'll go through that, and uh, I'll talk about it later, but it presumes that Russia is going to fall apart and kind of, uh, if not completely politically, then at least administratively it's going to be based on in a very city-state-like uh, status is there. So far, the situation in general is not that great either. Sources close to the Putin administration told Medusa, and some mailed me too, by the way, that the president's domestic politics team has reoriented towards, quote, coronavirus work. This is despite the fact that the group had pulled out all the stops to focus on the upcoming vote on the reforms of the change of the constitution, that will allow Putin to serve until 2036, no doubt about that. After the president himself postponed the vote indefinitely, any justification for large-scale campaigning and get-out-of-the-vote work fell away with it. The administration's push for high turnout and approval for the amendments will now just be humming in the background through the online and TV ads, just as expected. Quote, Everybody's working on the coronavirus now, and the presidential administration's political team is no exception. The person coordinating all that work is the same person who was working on the voting process for the amendments. Alexander Harichev, the head of the Division for State Council Affairs. And this has been confirmed by multiple sources. The administration has requested lists of potential volunteers from political parties and NGOs in hopes of mobilizing those individuals to help the elderly who have been asked to self-isolate. Quote, Putin likes volunteerism as a theme, so this work is going to look good for the administration's domestic politics bloc. Those volunteers are going to come in handy now. They're also planning external advertising to tell civilians to stay home, plus an internet campaign along the same lines. Combating the coronavirus has already made it to the KRI, which is a key performance markers list used to evaluate regional government leaders in Russia, by the way. It's a thing. It's kind of like one of those performance valuation things. And yeah, volunteer efforts might present the Kremlin with a nice little political opportunity. But, on the regional level, delayed gubernatorial appointments are throwing a wrench in the gears. 17 federal subjects in Russia had planned to elect a governor this year. Two of those elections have been scheduled to take place early, and 15 were said to be on schedule. Out of those 15, however, two regions had new governors instated in December, leaving 13 regions to hold elections on September the 13th, this year's nationwide election day. The fates of civil governors are still hanging in the balance, and the April 22 amendment vote was supposed to decide them. If a given regional leader was able to demonstrate respectable turnout and a respectable outcome, then they would keep their job. 
Now, there is no possibility of that kind of performance check in the near future, said one source familiar with the upper echelons of the president's domestic politics team. End quote. And that was from Medusa. The Kremlin had been pushing to hold the constitutional plebiscite as soon as late May, precisely because of the uncertainty surrounding Russia's governors and because Putin's aides hoped to keep turnout as high as possible. If the votes in May, the governors would have time to take their test, and there would still be time to replace the losers. Then the newbies appointed to replace them wouldn't have to rush too much with their campaigns, and they'd be able to submit their papers in time. If the vote happens on June 12th, then there'll be practically no room for manure, said one source close to the Putin administration again. Other sources confirm that a May plebiscite is currently the most wildly discussed option in the works, though they added that it would depend heavily on how the COVID-19 epidemic progresses in Russia. Another option under discussion was holding the nation by the constitutional vote at the same time as the rest of the country's election on September the 13th, because, hey, I mean, why bother? At this point, and like I said, I'm sorry, I'll get back to the story stuff soon, but tangent number 15th on this episode, this is why people ask me to return to Stalin. At least in the history of Stalin, I could read through the facts and not do any thinking on my own. Right now, this is just getting so crazy that what's happening now are just more political affairs and political manipulations that, hey, 20 years from now, it's not going to be me reporting about the situation. It's going to be, hey, Mike Duncan and I hope he's well and alive by that point, I'm making a series of Russian Revolution redux, something, something, and he's going to use me as a primary source, as it, as it seems right now, because it's just about as crazy as that. On March 27th, Kremlin sources also spoke with the business newspaper RBC about plans to hold a plebiscite in late May or early June. Unpopular governors whom are, like, the centers of power. Governors, you should treat them as feudal agents of Putin in the countryside. Because that's, well, exactly what they actually are. Basically, they just dare to vassals and steal for themselves and then provide kickbacks for above. And that's another little thing that I'll be... I have a huge backlist of things that I need to do for the show, but things just keep going on that I should kind of just work harder, I suppose. Anyway, governors like those handle administrative resources poorly, so replacing them could only be a good thing. The central government's ratings would immediately go up. Basically, they need to replace some nice little governors with low ratings because they wanted to change them so that Putin would look nicer because, hey, we replaced your previous slightly previous unpopular overlords with slightly less unpopular ones. Please vote for the chance for me to be the czar until 2036, at the very least. Or, you know, until I die, which is probably going to be a lot sooner. So, no one has any time for anything, and Putin's a bit weirded out. And currently, current bans on mass events in Russia have directly affected both established political parties and those who were recently founded, because some of them were really stupid too. Both public rallies and internal meetings fall under the ban. Even normal party operations have been difficult to keep going. And obviously, United Russia, the country's dominant party, the clique, the uh, Nazi party of Russia, the communist party of Stalinist Soviet Union. Yeah, they've also gone down to the online voting part, because over there, it's also very much fraudulent. Like I said, I'm going to have to do a nice little show about Bokazucha and all the wonders that that one brings to the table, 
and all the stuff that shows why this is way more serious for Russia with an unstable government whose linchpin is a 68 to 70 year old man who is in a group of risk from actually dying from coronavirus, which is why he's being dressed up in full hazmat gear when he's like going to meet some people. Which looks kind of silly, because everyone else is just wearing some masks or whatever. But they dressed up Putin like there's no tomorrow. They stuffed him in full yellow hazmat gear, made in the United States of America, of course. Russian hazmat gears wouldn't do the job. And then they just paraded him around, too. That's the weakness of authoritarian regimes, Mr. Putin. If you fall well and people just lose faith in your government, then you fall. And if you can't even ensure the livelihoods... In the most direct sense, to your basic electorate, which are crazy retired people with a nostalgia for the Soviet Union and a strong leader who do not want to think for themselves, and your government simply cannot provide for them, well then, change is about to happen. It's gonna get real crazy pretty soon. At least all of observations show to this area. But yeah, I'm healthy now and I finally am ready to go to the boat, but this episode has been too long, I'm gonna do everything ASAP because hey I've been sick and that's why I've been missing out but so far well thank you for listening and now you know like coronavirus will probably damage Russia way more than it damages your country thank you for listening to the eastern border if you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site theeasternborder.lv and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.